This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. It sounded like the beginning of an Agatha Christie mystery. A man is found dead, alone, slumped over his desk. There's no obvious foul play, but there is one curious detail. In his fingers, he's clutching a packet of peanuts. The scene is even more mysterious given the state of the man's body. He was an agricultural scientist, working in Russia during the brutal siege of Leningrad during World War II. And one look at his emaciated frame would tell you, poignantly, that he died of starvation. But wait, if he was dying of starvation, why did he not eat the peanuts in his hand? What gives? The mystery only deepens when we find out that the peanut scientist was not the only victim. That same month, at the same institute in Leningrad, a colleague of his starved to death while watching over her precious potatoes. Yet another colleague starved with thousands of grains of rice at hand. In all, nine scientists at this institute died of hunger during the Leningrad siege, all surrounded by thousands of pounds of rice, barley, peas, fruit, and more. But why? Were they mad? Were the seeds and grains poisonous or rotten? No. They all had their wits about them, and the plants were quite nutritious. Yet they all starved rather than eat them. Let's call this mystery the case of the starving scientists. And the only way to solve it is to understand their world, where they were coming from, what they were studying, and why their work on biodiversity was important enough to die for. From the Science History Institute, this is Sam Keen and the Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciency history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. That research institute with the starving scientists is now called the Vavilov All-Russian Scientific Research Institute of Plant Industry, or VIR in Russian. VIR was named after Nikolai Vavilov, one of the most remarkable and original scientists of the 20th century. As his biographer said, if justice be done, Vavilov would be as famous as Darwin. One crusade drove Vavilov's life, stopping famines. He was born in 1887, and every few years during his childhood, something bad would lay waste to crops, drought, Insects, disease, brutal cold. One famine alone killed 400,000 people. Relief kitchens were sometimes set up to feed people during these famines, but the food was awful. Vladimir Lenin dismissed the bread as, quote, a lump of hard black earth covered with a coating of mold. 
novelist Leo Tolstoy was blunter, calling the food, quote, vomit regurgitated by the rich. Even emergency measures, then, could not prevent people from dying. Vavilov tried a different approach. He tried stopping famines through the exciting new field of genetics. In short, Vavilov argued that preventing famines meant making crops more resistant to cold or drought or insects or disease. Unfortunately, he knew that modern crops are frighteningly inbred. There's virtually no genetic variety in modern crops, no biodiversity. They're monocrops. And the narrower a population's genetics, the more susceptible to threats. But monocrops do have distantly related wild versions, as well as obscure, off-brand cultivars. And randomly, some of those wild species or cultivars will have better tolerance for colds or droughts or whatever. They're more famine-resistant. The only problem was, those resistant varieties might not taste as good. But genetics could help here. Vavilov knew how to cross resistant varieties with tasty varieties. He could produce hybrid plants that were both hardy and good to eat. With genetics, he could create crops with the best of both worlds. But again, the whole scheme depended on biodiversity. You needed multiple varieties of wheat or barley or whatever to mix and match. And sadly, even back then, many rare varieties were disappearing due to human development. Vavilov saw the best tool we have for fighting famines, biodiversity, slipping through his fingers. That's why Vavilov founded the VIR, to protect plant diversity. The institute sat in a grand, three-story building off the majestic St. Isaac's Square in Leningrad, which is modern St. Petersburg. The building had dozens of windows and a cream-colored facade with white arches and pillars. It looked more like a museum or a decadent hotel. But that appearance should not fool you. VIR was the Fort Knox of agriculture, a repository to store and protect rare crops and keep them from dying out. And not just in Russia. Vavilov knew that famines killed people all across the globe. So he started traveling the globe to gather rare crops and bring them back to VIR. Vavilov made these trips wearing an Indiana Jones-style fedora and sporting a thick black mustache. He eventually made 115 expeditions to 64 countries, collecting 380,000 seeds, grains, and fruits. The variety was astounding. As one historian said, some were dull-coated, while others glistened like jewels. Some were knobby and gnarled, some smooth and burnished as a clay pot. They exuded every fragrance imaginable, musky, fermented, citric, floral. The world had never seen a collection like it. Every so often, Vavilov would open the drawers where he kept the seeds. He would then send them out to fields or orchards or paddies around the vast Soviet empire and have technicians grow them. Then the technicians would harvest the resulting plants for fresh seeds or fruits and send those back to the institute for storage. The logistics were formidable. But by late 1939, Vavilov had a humming empire of his own, 25,000 workers, all directed from the stately VIR building in Leningrad. And within a few years, that entire empire collapsed. 
We can trace Vavilov's downfall to a debate within Soviet science over nature versus nurture. Whether inborn genetic traits or outward environmental factors shape our lives more profoundly. Nowadays, scientists know that debating nature versus nurture is far too simplistic. Both genes and environment shape us. But that fact was not as clear back then. And many Soviet officials believe that environment alone mattered. Above all, the Soviets wanted to sweep away old human institutions and build a new type of human, a selfless, heroic worker. And they wanted to make these changes quickly. By remaking the environment, they hoped to remake humankind within a generation. Genetics, however, threatened this vision. Genetics emphasized fixed traits, inborn traits. This implied that perhaps humans could not be refashioned so easily. As a result, Soviet officials despised genetics. Some went so far as to deny the existence of genes. Eventually, they outlawed the science of genetics entirely. And Vavilov, a prominent geneticist, soon became scientific public enemy number one. One day in 1940, while he was collecting seeds in Ukraine, agents from the future KGB tapped him on the shoulder and arrested him. Not even his wife and children knew where he ended up, but they feared the gulag. This arrest also left his colleagues at the VIR trembling. They feared they would be next. Meanwhile, other external threats were looming too. In June 1941, Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union. Two of the biggest armies in history clashed, and Leningrad, the heart of Russian art and culture, was a major target. In fact, Hitler was so excited to goose-step into Leningrad that he printed up invitations to his planned victory speech there, awaiting only a date. He envisioned giving his oration from the balcony of the Hotel Astoria on St. Isaac's Square. But while Hitler dreamed of hotel balconies, his scientific minions fantasized about raiding the building across the street from the Astoria, the VIR. These scientists knew that Vavilov had gathered priceless troves of crops there, and they were eager to get their grubby hands on them and start experimenting. These geneticists might have been working for the Soviet Union's bitterest enemy, but they alone appreciated the Soviet scientists' work. After the Nazi invasion began, officials in Leningrad began evacuating the city's cultural treasures in July 1941, especially from the legendary Hermitage Museum, which housed several million paintings, sculptures, gems, and coins. This rescue effort can only be described as epic. Hordes of students and artists and laborers in Leningrad worked around the clock, and in two days, just two days, this small army packed 1.5 million pieces of art into boxes. That's 520 pieces every minute, almost eight per second. The art then left the city in trains up to 53 boxcars long. As a result, these treasures spent the war 1,500 miles distant, safe from Nazi hands. In comparison, what support do you suppose the scientists at VIR got? Not a single volunteer to help move. Not a single train car. Think about that discrepancy. I mean, art is important, absolutely. But we can survive without gems and sculptures. 
The VIR was housing the collective global heritage of food, irreplaceable cultivars and varieties. But when asked whether they wanted to save that food, Soviet officials said, Nyet. Those filthy geneticists could fend for themselves. Imagine what this must have done for morale at the VIR. Their boss had already been disappeared. They were demoralized and called traitors for their science. Now Nazis were marching on Leningrad, eager to steal their life's work. Who would not despair? And then things got even worse. The battle for Leningrad deteriorated into a deadly slog. And rather than waste lives and resources in a shooting war, the Nazis laid siege to the city. Their main weapon now would be the very thing Vavilov had worked his whole life to prevent. Famine. They intended to starve the Russians out. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture? No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. Plus, the built-in true accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The first few months of the siege in Leningrad, people pulled together. They ate stores of grain and tinned goods and tightened their belts to get by. Then supplies dwindled. Rationing went into effect, then strict rationing. Adults were reduced to just a quarter pound of bread per day. And after a certain point, you can't tighten your belt anymore. You start getting desperate. Residents started hunting cats and dogs. Soon they were reduced to eating lipstick, leather hats, and fur coats. Eventually, even those ran out. So again, imagine the morale at the VIR. You're disgraced, you're scared, and now you're starving. No one believes in your mission, and you're surrounded by the only viable food in the whole city. What do you do? If you're the VIR scientists, you just keep working. As one survivor later said, it was hard to walk. It was unbearably hard to get up in the morning, even to move your hands and feet. But it was not in the least difficult to refrain from eating up the collection. None of them ever succumbed to the temptation. 
They worked with food, thought about food, touched food every day, but they never put a morsel to their lips. Still, the scientists could see their starving, wild-eyed, sunken-cheeked comrades walking by every day. All it would take was one rumor to start a raid there. One person whispering, wait a second, don't they store food in there? One whisper and the building would be overrun. So eventually the VIR scientists barricaded themselves into the freezing basement. Their only company there was a plague of rats. <laughs> rats always know where the food is. The scientists had to beat the rats off with metal rods while they listened to Nazi artillery explode overhead. And they still did not eat a single crumb. So why didn't the scientists succumb? Why didn't they say, to hell with the rats and to hell with the Nazis and just eat the food and save themselves? Because they were not thinking about themselves. They were thinking about bigger things. First, they were thinking about the world after the war. Nations would need help getting back on their feet, especially in places where crops had been destroyed. They could help with that. They were also looking at human history. Ever since the first farmers planted the first seeds 10,000 years ago, there's been an unbroken chain of plantings through time. Think about that. No nation, no state, no religion has ever survived that long. And the VIR scientists saw themselves as stewards of this heritage. Eating the seeds or nuts or fruits would have snapped that chain. It would have cut us off from that heritage and threatened our ability to grow more crops in the future. So the VIR scientists waited and waited and gradually died. The rice scientist and the potato scientist and the scientist clutching a packet of peanuts in his hand. In all, 700,000 people starved in Leningrad during the siege. But I defy you to find any deaths more poignant than those nine scientists. After 872 days, the siege finally lifted in the spring of 1944, when the battered Nazi army withdrew. Imagine the jubilation in the city. Food, real food, flooded in. People could eat their fill, beyond their fill, for the first time in years. But it was a bittersweet moment for the VIR scientists. They were happy to be rid of the gnawing hunger and constant temptation, certainly. But they were crushed that their late colleagues could not celebrate with them. They were also disheartened to finally learn the fate of their guiding light, Nikolai Vavilov. After his abduction in Ukraine, the Soviets threw Vavilov into the gulag and interrogated him mercilessly for 12 hours at a stretch. They were determined to make him confess to his so-called crime of not conforming his science to their politics. But as one historian put it, Vavilov, unlike Galileo, refused to repudiate his beliefs. Speaking for his colleagues, Vavilov looked his interrogators in the eye and said, We shall go to the pyre, we shall burn, but we shall not retreat from our convictions. The Soviets simply could not break Vavilov. At least, not mentally. Starting in the spring of 1942, the Soviets essentially did to Vavilov what the Nazis tried to do to Leningrad, starve him into submission. They fed him nothing but mashed cabbage and moldy flour day after day after day. The man who had sampled wild apples in Kazakhstan 
wild barley in Ethiopia, wild potatoes in Chile, was reduced to eating flavorless mush and very little of it. His muscles wasted away, turning his arms and legs to sticks. His cheeks caved inwards, boils erupted on his skin. He had labored for decades to end famine, and he finally succumbed to starvation himself in January 1943. He was 55 years old. Thankfully, Vavilov's work has outlasted him. The VIR is still working to preserve our global food heritage. And Vavilov inspired the even bigger Fort Knoxes of agriculture that exist today. In fact, I've put together a bonus episode at patreon.com slash disappearingspoon about one of them. It's the so-called Doomsday Seed Vault in Norway. It is a truly incredible place. The world's best hope for preserving our food heritage in the uncertain future. You can also hear about other seed vaults that, unlike VIR, were destroyed by wars and other disasters. That's patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. Today, Vavilov's work is more important than ever. Despite advances in technology, crops today are more inbred than ever, even more genetically narrow and even more vulnerable to pests and diseases. Climate change could make things even worse as our weather grows more extreme. You might have heard that crops like bananas and chocolate and coffee are already threatened by extinction. Now imagine a world without wheat or corn or rice. We need biodiversity more than ever. Humankind has been farming for 10,000 years now. And if we manage to survive another 10,000, we just might have Vavilov and the starving scientists of Leningrad to thank for keeping us going. This is the Disappearing Spoon podcast, brought to you by the Science History Institute. Find out more about their library, museum, and multimedia magazine at sciencehistory.org. Make sure you check out the Science History Institute's other awesome podcast, Distillations. You can find their in-depth narrative stories and interviews about everything from space junk to sex, drugs, and migraines anywhere you get your podcast and on their website distillations.org You can find more incredible stories from my books at samkeen.com You can also book me as a speaker at your school or event. If you like this podcast, please support it at patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. It costs as little as seven cents per day. You can also get bonus episodes and signed books. Please spread the word to others as well and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or other places. This episode was written by me, Sam Keen. It was mixed by Jonathan Pfeffer and produced by Mariel Carr, Rigoberto Hernandez, and Padmini Raghunath.